1: From the spin off and the New Zealand Life, I'm Toby Manhire, and this is W Town. A little over a week ago, I received an email with the subject line Ben Thomas is stuck in W Town. I was intrigued. He seemed strange, brilliant, and angry. Angry mostly at W Town, that's Wellington, the backwater capital of New Zealand. This is the story of Ben T, the story of Double Town, the story of a podcast delayed interminably while Ben was stuck in fucking Wellington, (laughs) and a a story about a treasure, except there isn't any treasure.
0: That's just to keep you listening. I'm very sorry.
1: Um. This is Gone by Lunchtime, the spin offs um, leading political podcast. I'm Toby Manheim, This is Ben Thomas, who uh, was in Wellington for a very, very, very long time. I have an email chain of several thousand mm. increasingly desperate cries for help. Um,
0: how long were you there, Ben? I, I don't even remember a time before I was in Wellington. I um earlier this week I sort of woke up at a strange desk. I had a long beard and I had been communications manager of the Families Commission for a decade. <laughs> it was <laughs> I just I just want to say it's all behind us now. Let's we can we can do a podcast. Um how have you been coping without the company of Ben Annabelle?
2: I've missed him. Yeah. Yeah, but I've heard him several times on several different stations and programs.
1: Has he been doing that again?
2: He's been doing that again. Pretty That's why I sent bastard. that email earlier in the week, if you recall. What was that? One about requiring a certain type of test.
0: I, I bumped into Annabelle backstage at her own show, her, her whole show that she has, mm. The Huey mm. TV3. Yeah. What were you doing there? Uh, I was on The Nation.
2: Seeing Lisa gets on The Nation.
0: Beforehand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what? Carry on. Oh, no. Well, that's the end of his I, story. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was that's just that's telling that's you about story. a celebrity spotting it, when it I saw it. Annabelle <laughs> Lee.
2: <laughs> but I don't care anymore because I've been, singing, I've been seeing um, Duncan Garner and Mark Richardson.
1: Have yeah. you?
2: I have. You've been going on At the, the,
1: the same AM time. show. The AM show. <laughs> I have. The I AM show. The yeah. Colin McCann tribute show. Three very It for
2: Annabelle May. <clears throat> ah, mm. Mm. They named the whole show after me.
1: Uh, that, that's, that's Annabelle Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ben Thomas, I think we've been through this already. Um, we're sitting here as uh, Cyclone Cook rips through the country, colonizing again, Cook. Um, and uh, we haven't been here for ages, and we apologize for that, but um, we've got a lot to talk about. We could be here for several hours. It, um, it's, um, it behoves me to say this podcast and the politics section of the spinoff as a whole is made possible thanks to Life Direct. So um, we urge you. To head immediately to any politics section on the spin-off, click through to Life Direct where you can, at the stroke of a button, compare quotes from all the life insurance options available in New Zealand and get some life insurance. I
2: love life insurance.
1: That's great. Thank you, Annabelle, for for that. I
2: love it. Honestly, you can never have enough.
1: Um, uh, Ben, have you got any views on life insurance uh, that you can... Get via Life Direct.
0: Are we talking Trade about back. the Hageman trial a bit later in the pod? Oh, rough. Should we oh, edit that out? Okay, you, should we might. No, let's let's move
1: swiftly on to this week in um, W town, Wellington. Uh, a, a time capsule open, was opened. It was from like a couple of decades back, and it basically had a newspaper and some crisps in it or something. It was very very boring. Is that right, Ben?
0: Yeah, that's right. No sort of bejeweled busts of Seddon or kind of s- secret maps of the catacombs under the Parliament. Disappointing, very disappointing. If we were to bury
1: a political uh, time capsule now, however, would it be fair to say? I don't know if you've got any other thoughts. I think pi- pineapple top, pineapple and spaghetti top pizza. Mm. Um, a North and south cover featuring glamorous green. Would be MPs <laughs> and Gareth Morgan's
0: angry tweets. Mm. Yeah, we, we'd we'd get him to read them out and put them on like one of those gold records that they send up into space.
1: <laughs> Can you arrange that? <laughs> um, uh, let's focus on the pizza, Annabelle. Did you? How did you? Pe- the pizza wars, um, seemingly in response to it was a Women's Weekly article in which Andrew Little and Jacinda, in a very natural and purplish prose fashion. Exchange banter about whether or not pineapple belonged on pizza. Andrew Little responded, like a social media wizard, with a post on the Facebook showing him putting a pizza into the oven with pineapple and tinned spaghetti on the top.
2: Mm, delicious, I thought.
1: Is this is this is the election now over? Has he won?
2: I think so.
0: Um, ben. Yeah, I mean, this is a real fault line in New Zealand politics. On the one hand, you have the, the tiny niche kind of Twitterati <laughs> political class um, who don't remember a time before Roger Douglas opened up the New Zealand economy um, who, who eschew the idea of pineal- pineapple on pizza. Yeah. And Bill English, a man who has once said, New, New Zealand pizza. still exists, uh, you just have to go outside Auckland to find it remembers that, you know, an essential ingredient of pizza is um, is spaghetti on the base. And if you look at the, the, the global political scene, you know, Trump, Brexit, there really is this kind of urge to nostalgia, this kind of urge to the safety of the past. And to be honest, I think I feel more comfortable that Bill English expresses that with kind of antediluvian 70s New Zealand cuisine rather than, you know, bombing Syria. Well...
1: We still left the door open to that. I don't, think, I don't think, by definition, the pineapple and the spaghetti cancels out bombing.
2: I hear at his meetings he has like, um, like an orange with like toothpicks in it with yeah. like ham and pineapple <laughs> for people to snack on.
1: Really? I've heard mm. that he does dunk mm-hmm. cookies. He does dunk cookies during, during meetings. He's a cookie dunker. Really? I have that on high authority. He's
2: also a meat pie lover. He's a, yeah. he's, a he's, he's a he's a he's a cuisine kind of guy. Kiwi cuisine. He uh, could have his own cooking show if um, the whole politics thing doesn't work out for him.
1: He went too far, didn't he, when he, he just he just he everything was going fine and then they he did a post of him and Nadia Lim, and she was showing him how to make a fancy pizza, and he was kind of oh, oh no I've had a few lessons, and it was it was just it was perfect
0: before. Was yeah, I, I noted that uh, Fairfax that the the headline on stuff was you know PizzaGate post. <laughs> Mm. which I think is a little unfair. You know, Pizzagate, of course, being the, the made-up pedophile ring conspiracy mm. in the United States mm. that came from the uh, Democratic Party email hacks. And I think, you know, Bill's a Catholic. You know, there's already a sort of air of unfounded suspicion around his people, and it seems like a, a kind of bridge too far, you know. I think say about a sort of epitomised
2: dad jokes, didn't it, because, like, the first one was a dad joke, but, you know, sometimes when your dad does a joke and it is actually funny, and then they try to go for a little bit more, Mm. and you're like, no.
1: Well, he can be credited, can't he, with, faced with the dilemma of pineapple or not pineapple, he could have decided to uh, postpone the decision until 2036, 2038, (laughs) 2040, but he, he, he confronted it head on, showed that he is a man of immediacy, and he's willing to confront Hmm. The, the, the difficult issues. Can
2: I just say that if it was the greens pizza, it would have been like organic baba ganoush with um, mm. goat cheese.
1: Um, I had a conversation with someone about like this and they said it would be a cauliflower base.
2: Oh, it would be a cauliflower base. Have you come base. across this? Yes, I've seen someone this. Someone was telling me it was I've really I've seen yummy. this on the Facebook. I
0: find this highly unlikely. You
2: blend it. Till it's all powdery, and then you pat it into a thing. And
0: I'm, I'm really glad that the Greens' modernisation and <laughs> 21st century revamp is coming along well. There were no
1: pizzas, that's true, on their cover of North and South. Have you seen that cover? And about I
2: have not. I have not. I'm sorry, no.
0: Um, ben, have you seen that cover? I have. Um, ex- extremely posed, airbrushed, um, great, great newsstand cover for a uh, mm. New Zealand magazine. Mm. It's got all their. Um, up-and-coming stars, including the ones who were sort of ranked in the low 20s when their list finally came out, like Hayley Holt. Yeah.
2: To be fair, there is a whole lot of pretty in the greens now, isn't there?
1: I'd love to see your rankings on that front. I can do that. Could you? Yeah. Um, This is the kind of hard-hitting content you're going to get from the spinoff all the way through to September the 23rd. Mm -hmm. The cover does, though, kind of – there's been a bit of – Commentary from, from Green MPs themselves after there was some backlash against it and that, you know, this is the positioning of the people, as kind of selling out, blah, 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 which is, which is a kind of fault line within the Green Party to some degree. But being on the front page of a national magazine is a pretty... It's a coup. Pretty impressive feat, mm. right? Yeah, um, it's a
2: good score for them.
0: Yeah, that's That'd right. It'd
2: be silly not to have done <clears throat> it, I think, mm. in terms of the exposure.
0: And James Shaw has actually done a really great job of sort of allaying the concerns of people who think that the Greens will be a little nutty if they ever get near government. Um, Shaw gets a really good reception from business audiences and, you know, all of those kind of old Rotarian clubs that, you Mm. know, that kind of constitute most of the election circuit. Um, So, you know, I think they do have a perception issue, but I think along with you know, with those kinds of steps, getting Shaw up front, and also the Memorandum of Understanding with Labour, they have actually successfully sort of mainstreamed themselves um, mm. more than they have in the past, I think. But there I'm not are... i so
2: sure about Shaw, sure, if you'll forgive me the pun. Um... He didn't do so well on The Nation a few weeks back, I thought.
1: What was he talking about? Oh, that was that was immediately after the memorandum of, L- 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 memorandum of
2: understanding. Yeah, well. he was talking about a particular issue and he wasn't able to be very specific, as yeah. I am now, about um, the detail of it. <laughs> he was a bit
1: unsure. Yeah. yeah, it
2: just didn't look very good.
1: Um, and there are definitely rumblings of discontent from within the membership. Oh, um, really? I did an interview with Shaw and it's today as co-leader a while a while ago which you can read on thespinoff.co.nz and uh sort of got in touch with a few members kind of base type people who are quite suspicious about the you know so that's their trade-off they want to be more kind of acceptable and palatable to uh people who are looking for government they really want to be in government but they also have at least part of their base who are deeply suspicious as most prominently articulated by Sue Bradford, who obviously mm. has some issues with the Green Party that go back a while, but she doesn't she does speak for some within the party. Um, within the membership who feel as though that and the immigration policy that came out a while before too represent mm. the party moving away from a kind mm. of
2: thread <laughs> green grass. From roots. their
1: soul or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, they had this uh, fiscal responsibility framework with Labour that That's they it. announced where they promised that they would only you know, they would keep keep net debt at sort of the same level proportion of government spending. This Mm. constrains their ability to raise taxes and raise social spending, which of course is their kind of core business. At the same time, you know, you have to take these promises with a grain of salt. It's highly unlikely that there will be a Green Labour government, you know, as Green Labour without any kind of involvement of other parties like New Zealand First, who will certainly be pushing for more spending. And as we've seen, you know, with the national government, which, uh, you know, brought in a a revenue-neutral tax switch in 2010, I think it was, which actually cost billion a billion dollars a year. Um, you know, you can kind of fudge these things once you're in government.
2: For those who are interested, Toby will be posting the recipe for the baba ghanoush pizza Collier on the base. spin-off Collier later cloud cloud today cloud. with the
0: poly-
1: um, base. I base. I meant that fiscal responsibility framework rules, blah, blah, when I said memorandum of understanding before, I'd like to apologise for the error. Um... Meanwhile, uh is it possible that Cyclone Cook is part of the punishment for doing something bad as as a country, as a nation, and that punishment is also extending out to having to relive forever the court cases of Andrew Little and the Hargemans and Jordan Williams and Colin Craig?
0: It's it's kind of like fifty first dates as by Hieronymus Bosch, just this eternal nightmare, mm. <laughs> revisiting basically the worst people in New Zealand in a, pre- <laughs> in a procession of evidence and counter-testimony. Um, he doesn't I just, mean
1: worst people, just if there's anyone <laughs> listening um, from chambers, uh, he really thinks they're all terrific people.
0: Yeah, sorry, that was what I meant. That's mm. kind of like that MOU fiscal framework thing, slip of the tongue.
2: Mm. Colin Craig must be over the moon
1: yeah I, I, oh he can't I, wait just he's got other cases on the go too it's he's a busy guy oh dear um the hargerman thing was the one of real political significance I guess in mm. that it, um he was being sued for defamation mm-hmm. um uh, as a result of some things he had said about uh political donors to the national party and blah bloody blah He got some qualified privilege out of the judge and then the the verdict came back on. Non defamation against Lani Hagerman, but uh, and and uh, and maybe defamation they couldn't decide on qualified privilege. I'm explaining this very badly against Earl Hagerman. Did he kind of in the end? This is probably a good result on balance for Andrew Little.
2: I think so. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, g- a good result for New Zealand politicians in general, don't you? It's but a better particularly res- in election. Yeah. <laughs>
0: hmm. It's a better result than having to pay them two point four million dollars. Um, I think, you know, with one of the cornerstones of our democracy um, in the Westminster system has always been that our politicians are allowed to defame the hell out of whoever they like. Um, and this, this, however, this has previously been confined in, in parliament. to Parliament. Yeah. 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 And then the Privileges Committee of Parliament um, did a report after the bungled accidental snooping on MP Peter Dunn's mm. emails mm-hmm. um, a few years back. Um, And one of the results of that was that they decided to extend parliamentary privilege by statute to um, if you repeated something that you said in parliament, you were still covered by that absolute privilege that parliamentarians have. So freedom from, you know, either arrest or lawsuit. Um, And, you know, because we used to have this farcical situation where, you know, people would get up and you know, defame that, you know, defame like crazy in the House, and then they'd be asked about it by reporters on the forecourt, and they just sort of, you know, kind of nod and shift nervously. Um, And and this extends it even further, which says that there's a qualified privilege available to the leader of the opposition, in particular, to, um, you know, raise issues fearlessly with the government, you know, and not have to have... You know, undue regard, um, you know, for being sued, um, that kind of thing. So, I I think that is probably a good development, um, especially good news for Winston Peters, should he become leader (laughs) of the opposition anytime soon.
2: (laughs) I understand the desire to want to defend yourself and and um, you know, clear your name if you feel you've been defamed, but I. Think that she kind of lost credibility with the amount of money that she was asking for, and I think to many it would just look like a case of a rich person using their money to bully a politician into silence, which I think isn't very palatable to most Kiwis.
1: Meanwhile, for Labor, Andrew Little emerges from that. Uh, I mean, uh, Lani Hagman has said she will pursue, continue to pursue the the, the, the alleged defamation. But he is in a reasonably strong place. I mean, it's sort of you know we're we're five and a bit months out.
2: Reasonably strong, if you don't mind your deputy leader well, being like way more popular than that's you. That's what I was <laughs> going to get
1: get, get on to. I mean, the, we we haven't spoken um, owing to Ben Thomas being in Wellington <coughs> for uh, since Jacinda Ardern, the recently elected deputy leader. Uh, Overtook Andrew Little in the polls as preferred prime minister. And, um, Even that was, faster than we thought. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it was going to happen in some ways, it would happen straight away while her name was there because these things aren't put, people aren't given a list in these polls. They're asked to, mm. to nominate someone out of the blue. Um, uh, is, is it bad? Is it bad for Little for that to happen?
0: I mean, it seems sort of bad. We do have this extraordinary situation where there could be a government after the election where the Prime Minister is only the third most preferred Prime Minister, not in the country, but in his own government, behind (laughs) Winston Peters and Jacinda Ardern. Mm. Um, You know, it, it doesn't put him in a strong position long term. But Jacinda's popularity has to be good for them in the campaign, mm. particularly if they can draw national into a leadership team versus leadership team kind mm. of um, election rather than the sort of presidential style that we've become accustomed to under MMP.
2: Certainly, yeah, it's better for them that she's popular than unpopular. But in terms of the, the dynamics within the party itself, it's always going to be uncomfortable when you know your number two is more preferred than you, and it, um, you know, I guess it impacts on your credibility to a certain extent and your, you know, your right to lead.
1: Mm. I mean, they could argue, I suppose, what was it? Was it eight and six or something like that? I'm not the, sure. There was it, a two point gap in two yeah. polls, which had them at different levels. But, so. the, but the, the combined, I mean, this is sort of creative accounting in a way, but if you comp- it's probably the highest. Score for a Labour leader, if you can, if you if you're willing to combine them together, which to some degree is probably good that. That they can count that as a as a positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, without being cruel to Andrew Little, who I have actually have a lot of admiration for, and I think he's a very good politician, um, none of his support would be personal support based on Andrew Little. That is all just something that attaches to the Labour Party leader. Jacinda has a huge personal following, you know, in relative terms. And, and shiny,
2: silky hair. I think I said that last time I was yeah, on here Yeah, no, too. it's
0: good, but get it in. It's, all,
2: mm.
1: it's strong. It's good that you can look after the objectification of people who are trying to,
0: Achieve things in politics.
2: It helps.
0: Yeah. You could do an all Labor Greens list.
2: Lust. <laughs> yeah.
0: Lust. <Did laughs> the, New Zealand, the New Zealand
1: lust. accent is dangerous, I always think, when lust. you're explaining to a foreigner how the MPs work, and you say, well, there's electorate MPs, and there's lust MPs. I don't know if I mentioned it's been a long time since we caught up owing to Ben being in Wellington. <laughs> and so we haven't had an opportunity to talk about Hit and Run, which dominated the headlines for a full fortnight, really, um, before Bill English kind of drew a line under it, for now at least, by saying that there wouldn't be an inquiry um, after looking like he was, you know, partly inclined to for a while there. Um, Annabelle, you worked on, you were a executive producer? Producer. Producer, on Native Affairs on Māori TV, when the John Stevenson item aired in
2: 2013, 2013, 2014, something like that, somewhere around
1: there. Um, and that it was interesting that, that 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 many of the much of the book was also in that short film,
2: yeah, um, it was like a truncated version of the book,
1: yeah. So, were you interested to see the the coverage it got this time compared to then?
2: I did well, it actually did get really good coverage mm. at the time, particularly internationally. It was it was well reported and there was a little bit of a media kerfuffle at the time, not as much as this time obviously. Mm. But um I think, you know, it's one thing to read the book, but when you actually see the villagers sitting down and talking to John about the shrapnel that they have in their legs mm. as a result of that attack, um, their loved ones that died, seeing their death certificates and um, those sorts of things. It, it's hard not to feel that, you know, an inquiry is the least we could do because um, while the NZDF and Nikki and Um, John might not be 100% sure where these villagers live. The Mm. villagers do and they're adamant about what happened to them and what they saw and what it's um, done to their community.
1: Mm. I should um, should probably back up a little bit and for anyone who has been uh, living in a cave or overseas, the book is hit and run uh, authored by Nikki Hager with John Stevenson who did that um, TV uh, item a few years ago and its its core allegations are that in a botched raid in Afghanistan in
2: it? Um, Earlier.
1: Ten. Anyway, uh, that six civilians were killed and a number of others injured. Among those killed being a three year old girl called Fatima. And there was a, and other allegations haven't had as much coverage include that a prisoner was beaten by the New Zealand forces by the um, and. That a prisoner was transferred to a place where the prisoner was likely to face torture with Afghan forces. You, Ben, I think, were at the launch of the of the of the book in Wellington, which is your favourite place.
0: I was at the launch to see the deflated faces of the political reporters when it turned out it wasn't a book about bloggers. Uh huh. Um,
1: but you thought I think I saw you say that it was a more important book than the dirty politics book that you were alluding to there.
0: Well, the allegations are certainly higher stakes mm. than, than emails or texts with bloggers, absolutely. Um, but for that reason, because it is a long way away, you know, there, there is this sort of cloud of uncertainty, yes. you know, the, the maps mm. and counter maps. Mm. Um, th- I think it's a bit harder for people to really get a grasp on um, and so it doesn't sort of capture the imagination of, I guess, the political class mm. in New Zealand in the same way um, that some of Haga's previous work has. Um, And what did you make of the
1: response to it, um, which came initially from Keating for the NZDF and then subsequently Bill English saying
0: nope? I've got some sympathy um, with the NZDF and with the government on this. I think Hager has... Nicky Hager um, has unearthed great material during his career. Sometimes I think he oversells a little. Um, so, for instance, there are those you know, the, the, there's a photograph in the book um, which purportedly, you know, which which on some readings of the on some caption readings of su- the caption, su- su- yeah. su- you know, su- and, and my reading of the caption suggested that it was showing SAS shells and SAS drink bottles, and and when that was kind of debunked that that was possible um you know Nikki Haga said well we never said that you know we just put a picture of these items well, <laughs> and, and fair, a short no, caption about in the, the in the text SAS. itself it's pretty clear that
1: well it, it, I, I mean yeah it's it's it sort of feels to me at least that we kind of include lots of these things including whether the villages were two kilometers away from these villages or whether the village was called turgorin village or um a, Cuddydad, or, or yeah. uh, you know, I mean,
0: uh, I mean, this this isn't trivial. Like, this I isn't know, th- I, I know, this sounds like nitpicking, but that kind of thing isn't trivial because it's not just a matter of, oh, actually, the village is two kilometres to the north of where you thought it was. It's actually that you know, once you transpose it onto the terrain, certain features
2: except that Tugun you know, isn't I, actually a village at all. It's the name of the of well, the region which you know, the the NZD flubbed their way through. I think you're right, and that for most New Zealanders, it's a exotic country far, far away that they have no idea about. And because of that, the NZDF are able to kind of take advantage of people's ignorance, for want of a better word. The truth is they're not even villages. They're like little hamlets. Mm. Um, But people don't know that. And there has been some subterfuge, you know, NZDF saying, oh, look, it was a really um, lush area where this happened. And if you look, you know, it's not lush at all. It's, it's, uh, you know... I don't know, arid kind of place or whatever, and actually it's not. And if you look at the photos in the book, it shows that it's not. But in any case, why the NZDF should be in a position where they get to influence the Prime Minister over whether or not there's an inquiry seems very undemocratic.
0: I I thought it was extraordinary when... Bill English um, said that he had taken independent advice from the head of the NZDF. I mean, you know, even if that, that that is a proper process to go through when these kinds of allegations come to light, but, you know, it's not really enough to give the public surety. I'm, I'm pretty sceptical about the claims, but I think that, you know, I think the public would benefit from an inquiry into it.
1: And it won't go away, will it, because we've got on the one hand, there is a case being taken by New Zealand human rights lawyers on behalf of the villagers affected, the ones that um, Stevenson spoke to for the book. Um, so that's not going to go away. Mm. But also, you would expect, wouldn't you, and I have no no uh, no sort of intel on this, but you would expect that, it, that many of those sources, having seen the response from the NZDF, um, on which basis Bill English ruled out an inquiry, would be at least considering, um, if not putting their name to it, um, fleshing out mm-hmm. some of their information?
2: You know, I have been lucky in my career to be mentored by some particularly great men like uh, the late great Kingi Ihaka, Kingi Taurua. They were men who served in SAS, and they were men of great mana and integrity and manakitanga And I think, um, you know, for men like that and for all New Zealanders we should be able to have faith in the work that our troops are doing overseas and I think for that reason alone but there's a you know there's a million reasons why we should have this inquiry but for that reason alone we should have an inquiry so that New Zealanders can have faith um, in our SAS and the in the work that they do
1: um people probably do get a bit of fatigue hearing about calls for inquiries um, and I can understand that but the other area where there has been quite a chorus of calls for inquiry for an inquiry from people affected is to do with the decades of abuse in state care of state wards and you Annabelle Lee had on your program the hui last Sunday pretty incredible and powerful testimonies from four men Do you want
2: to sort of just kind of give us a scan of that? So, 100,000 New Zealanders, not just Māori, um, put into state care during the 1950s and 1980s, institutions like Kohitere, Epuni, um, Hokio. We, uh, earlier this year, Susan Devoy called for an inquiry into the historical abuse of those children, particularly with a special focus on Māori, because Apparently 80% were Māori, although we can't be sure of that because there's been no inquiry or thorough research done on it. Um, the government ran something called CLASS, the... What was it? Confidential, oh, confidential Listening,
1: listening and Service. Some service.
2: people came forward to that, not very many by Judge comparison Henwood's, to... Ha- yeah, thing. and at the end of it, Judge Henwood said that there should be a full independent inquiry into what happened to these kids... Um, Last week we got four survivors of state institutions together and they shared some pretty harrowing stories of violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse, you know, despair, depression, and it's really the story of how a generation of New Zealand men... um, um, were subjected to absolute brutality at the hands of the state, and the ripple effect of that in terms of um, you know intergenerational dysfunction and so on. So, um, as a result, it sort of renewed the call for an inquiry into what happened to these people.
1: Was that difficult putting that together? Or was that, I mean, it, it would have presumably taken quite a lot of quite a lot of discussion and. To, Management to, to get those guys on camera. Yeah,
2: actually, Mahi had put put a call out on Facebook and said, uh-huh. "Look, I'm you know I'm try I'm, I want to speak to people survivors of you know yeah. the state basically, and um, a couple of wives came forward and said, oh, "I'd really like, to you to talk, like for you to talk to my husband." But these guys came forward quite willingly. Yeah. They have obviously processed a lot of this stuff over the years and. Um, and they felt that they could perhaps make a difference for, you know, young New Zealanders if they came forward and shared their stories, in the hope that it might prevent another generation from um, suffering through the same stuff that they did. So,
1: because um, Ben, recently we've had the launch of the uh, Ministry for Vulnerable Children, um, and, and Tomadiki. Yes, never, never right. as a never as a as a government new department, they'd been keener to foreground the. Tereo name mm. after the which response actually to the has no relation Rukuchu. at all to
2: the Pakia name. Um, Basically, means the opposite. But anyway,
1: what does it mean? Well,
2: mm-hmm. or, so Oranga Tamariki is like Orangu. the well-being of children, right, right, which is not what vulnerable yeah. children mm. is. But anyway,
1: um, uh, and mm. the 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 argument from Antoli uh, is that this 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 is this is the refresh, this is new, and this means that this the argument. From others is that without having had a proper reckoning, without having had a review, we can't be sure that the same sorts of things aren't going to continue into the future. Can you tell us which of those positions is right?
0: I did a bit of work on this stuff long ago, Hmm. um, and I I don't know if this is still the government's position or or, or even was then because of my faulty memory. Um, One of the issues that there is in this sort of in, in this very broad case, is that, you know, these are hugely affecting emotional, you know, very tragic stories. Um, there is a question around to what extent it's systematic. Um, you know, if in, in the case of, um, say, the Lake Ellis um, abuse cases of... Um, of, of patients with mental illness who are sort of subjected to experimental treatments that, you know, were well outside the bounds of what mm. you would expect at, you know, at the time and in the, in the era that it happened. Um, this this covers, you know, a very broad swathe of people in a lot of different institutions with a lot of different circumstances. So whether it's actually amenable to a sort of structural review in that way, you um, you know, particularly since now we don't really have those, those, those same institutions in terms of the sort of you know the state providers of care um, yeah I, I, I think it's, it's it's not quite straightforward.
2: Uh, the, I mean here's one good reason why there should be an inquiry is the government able to guarantee New Zealanders that those social workers state social workers, paid for by the state, state wards in the care of the state, so these are representatives of the state who sexually, physically, mentally and verbally abuse these children, can the government guarantee that none of those people are practising social workers anymore? Mm -hmm. And can they guarantee that none of them work with any children anymore? That's one good reason to have an inquiry.
1: One of the things that, I mean, the, the, the listening service that Carolyn Hedwood ran wasn't Inquiry. It was intended to offer, and it, was an, it sounds, sounds like an incredible thing. It was a very kind of powerful and emotional raw report that Karen Henwood wrote. But um, in that, one of her recommendations, although, I mean, she might have been slightly overreaching in the recommendations, was that there should be a police complaints authority-style body whereby people can make, receive an independent assessment of complaints about what happened to them in state care. And it seems as though... And that was, that was ignored, far as i can tell that was not and you kind of that seems like a pretty straightforwardly useful and important
0: thing yeah i think when you're looking at you know particular social workers say if they're still working um and allegations about them you know they're really then this whole natural justice um kind of requirement comes back in and you have to start looking at it on this really minute level of kind of legal wrongdoing, you know, because those people then become affected by the outcomes as well. And whether a commission of inquiry is sort of the right level of detail to be looking at, you know, individual people sort of across all of New Zealand. Yeah. I, I think there's questions.
1: Yeah. Um- Thanks, Ben, for that, but we're agreed there should be an inquiry. Sorry, Uh, Ben, I did. To uh, talk about something more fun, let's let's talk before we um, send Ben back to Wellington, um, where he's been for some time holding up this podcast. Let's talk about the Māori seats, which are the kind of um, everyone's let loose Game of Thrones analogies and everything else, and it is... The most interesting battlefield now in the lead up to September 23 election day, we've got, apart from anything else, we've got this um, Māori Party mana deal uh, whereby Hone Haruere gets to stand unopposed in and then doesn't stand anyone in the other seats against the, the Māori Party. Um, but that's already being tested. There's already some serious tension there with... Um, Hone saying that the RMA... Could, that
2: Ture Whenua Māori, the Māori you know, Land Reform Bills. Māori
1: Land Reform sta- Poisonous that, that,
2: Cancer, I think he called poisonous it.
1: Poisonous Cancer, which is really... Is that tautologist? I don't know. I guess uh, we shouldn't get bogged down in that. But um, Marama Fox appeared on The Nation, I think it was, giving a very, ah, oh, come round, have a cup of tea, it'll mm. be fine response, which she's very good at doing, but yes. you kind of, can the deal hold?
2: Well, we had um, both Marama and horney on our show the week before, and both of them were at pains to say that, um, that their deal is strictly in the electorates and that mm. they still have the right to take pot shot at, at mm. each other's policy, so... Um, Obviously, it's never good when, you know, your political ally is publicly um, describing your policies as a poisonous cancer. But, you know, it seems like they have come to an agreement. And, and it's
1: in their interest. And it's,
2: and it's in their interest. And the truth is that it only has to hold until the election. It's not like they have to work together afterwards. Mm. So. I, I think it'll probably be OK. I think they'll make it to the finish line. If Bruised you, and battered, probably, but, you know, still in one piece.
0: Yeah, if you look at the, the Māori seats in the last election, it was it was vote splitting between mana and Māori that actually returned a lot of seats to Labour. So Tamaki Makaurau, if you uh, merge the mana and Māori votes back together, they beat Labour in Te Te uh, uh,
2: It's That's you, not a good example, though, because because Penny Henare was like literally announced at the last minute, so I think had he had longer to campaign he might have got a better result but because the Labour Party bollocked that up so magnificently, you know he kind of got a bit of a hospital pass so I'm not sure if, you're right but I'm just not sure if you can count Tāmaki in the mix for that one.
0: Yeah, even even Arafati, or Rāfati, becomes not marginal, but it becomes pretty close. Uh, if you, if if as Matt McCartan that would.
2: That is a stretch, Ben. <laughs> that is a big stretch. Even if even if you were to presume that all of the Hamuanikura's votes went to Marama... Mecca still would have got um, by a good shot.
0: It's not a huge margin. I think it's about a thousand, isn't it? That's good in Maori seats. (laughs) But I mean, on the other hand, Madiba Fox has been a revelation. In this parliamentary she has, term, indeed. I mean, she is, she's she's re-energised the Maori Party. If you look at you know what you're talking about just before the Resource Management Act reforms, that, those are extraordinary concessions that the Maori Party has uh, has gotten from the National Party.
2: I see they've announced Shane Taurima as their candidate in Tamaki Makoto, and I, I've just been wondering. Like I know that Martima says that she wants to stand with her people in Te Tai but if I was you know the stick, boss of stick, the Maori party I've yeah because yeah, she has a huge profile in Auckland she has a huge yeah, profile everywhere yeah. but she seems like if anyone find, could take on Penny you it's would hard think to find that,
1: anyone who doesn't just kind of warm to and admire yeah. her mm. really or are there people who I mean no I, don't I think know. she's been, of, she's
2: been probably the incredible. most exciting thing to happen to the Maori, <laughs> Maori party and I think she's the perfect sidekick for Te door because she is so stroppy personality plus I think a lot of Wahini yeah. Māori can really relate to her. Yeah. Um, she's personable. She has a great relationship with the media. She's a smart operator. So, yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't consider... I mean, maybe she said no. Maybe they've been begging her the whole time. I don't know. But to me, she seems like someone who would do very well in Tanaki the Makoto. So,
1: so, so still in the Māori seats, the other thing that happened is the Labour Party announced, or the Labour's yes. candidates... Of their own accord, entirely unilaterally and autonomously, decided that they the the that the, they only wanted to stand in the electorate for the Māori seats and they would not be on the list. And I that was kind of I just didn't really understand that. Mm. I mean that you can see you can see for Kelvin Davis up against Tony Harawira and no Māori Party candidate mm. uh, up north that that means that he can he he can uh, spike the guns of the argument that don't worry, you'll get him anyway, two for one deal. Yeah. But otherwise, does it make sense to you?
2: It's um, it's a, a decision that's really polarised Dim. On one hand, you have people that are like, good on you guys, you know, balls to the wall kind of thing, mm. who think it's a very sort of courageous Move and it's about getting a true mandate, and then you have others that think it's a really regressive step where you're essentially forcing. Maori voters back into first past the post politics, and if Labour really valued its Maori MPs, who are the voices of some of the most vulnerable New Zealanders in the country, that they wouldn't have allowed them to do it on mass. Perhaps you would allow one or two, you know, perhaps Calvin, where he can neutralise that argument of honies, but to allow to allow um, an election campaign strategy where you could essentially lose every single one of your Maori MPs your Māori electorate MPs um, has certainly polarised um, Māori.
0: It's definitely an interesting decision. In the sense that, you know, Andrew Little says, you know, they they didn't want to be held up by the the belts and braces. They wanted to get out there and do it themselves. Mm. Noticeably noticeably absent from um, wanting to be free from these sort of nannying, molly coddling restrictions are Andrew Little, list MP. Mm. Trevor Mallard, list only MP. uh, Willie Jackson. Willie Jackson, David Parker. Well, I mean, Willie's a slight exception because the other ones are extremely white. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Labour Party apparatchiks. Um, it, it, there's, there's definitely a double standard. In a way, it's good political management. Um, this is a way of really driving those people that you know have previously contended are in pretty marginal seats, mm. Tamaki Makoto, um and and possibly Kelvin, um, to really motivate them to not sort of rest on their laurels. But I think it does kind of call back to that instrumental approach that Labour has has had with its Māori MPs over the past 20 years. So you mentioned, sorry, I'm just I'm finishing off a, a mouthful
1: of, not crossbar there. Um, uh, you mentioned Shane Taurima, yeah. Annabelle, mm-hmm. who's returning to stand for the Māori Party in uh, 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 Tamaki Makoto, um, because Willie Jackson isn't. Um, mm-hmm. And Willie Jackson as well, former. It seemed, and we've also got Tamati Coffee floating Tam- around.
2: Tamati Coffee and Waiariki.
1: All the all the ex broadcasters. All ex broadcasters. Um, it seems like an opportune time to offer both of you the um, the chance to, to declare which seats you'll be standing in, in, the, in the. I September am going
2: generation. to be a list MP yes. with the ultimate goal of being the minister of confectionery.
1: Interesting. Does that include does confectionery Include hot cross buns, or is that a different category? I suppose it's a different
2: category. It depends it? if the cross is made from chocolate or not. Oh, I see. If it does, then of course it's part of the ministry. Be
1: part of
0: your it portfolio. My
2: portfolio.
1: Okay, good.
0: Ben, well, I understand Minister of Foreign Affairs is probably going to be open after the election. It seems it's held, held open for a while. That so,
1: seems like a
0: good idea. Look, I, I could definitely I could fill in that for basically any party, um, <coughs> just because I want to put as many miles between me and Wellington as yeah. possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kazakhstan visits. Do we do we <laughs> need to sort of you know re- uh, re- reignite dear. our links with Belarus? <laughs> oh, ben.
1: Um, this has been W Town, aka uh, Gone by Lunchtime. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ben Thomas. Thank you very much, Jose Barbosa on the decks. I'm Toby Mann. I will
2: catch
1: you next time. Kia ora. Kia ora Butler e te te here, podcast manager at The Spin Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our Mahi by signing up to become a Spin Off member at thespinoff.co.nz/slash/donate.